Let's return again in our Bibles to Luke's Gospel, the second chapter. Had portions of that already put before us, and we'll continue in Luke chapter 2 as we come to that Song of Simeon, which will be our focus this Christmas Eve morning. Luke chapter 2, my reading will be from verse 22 through verse 35. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. This is the word of God. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that is, of course, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him, Simeon blessed them, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed. The sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, may these words of that prophet of the hour, Simeon, our father in faith, bless us again. They're so wonderfully familiar to us as is this whole season and the emphases of it, but we pray that you would work out a new and refreshing comfort and peace and joy in our hearts through this word inspired by your spirit. We ask this together for all who are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, you know well that the story of our Lord's birth is attended in our Bibles by very 
prominent visits to see Jesus in his infancy. You, of course, are so very familiar, we just sang of it, of the visit of the shepherds outside of Bethlehem the very night he was born. That's his first set of visitors. And then, of course, another very prominent visit takes place when the Magi of the East travel from very far a little bit later in Jesus' childhood. And they, too, are visitors of the newborn king. We're studying this morning a visit, but it's not a visit to Jesus. It's a visit by Jesus, you might say. It's his first visit to church, if we could put it that way. The visitor is baby Jesus in this account, and it's his coming, of course, in the care of his parents to the temple, to the place where God was worshipped in his day. It's a visit that maybe is a little bit more easily lost in the other more well-known parts of the story. It takes place somewhere between the visit of the shepherds and the visit of the Magi. Jesus is still very much an infant. We gather around a month old. I think that's about the age of the typical newborn in our congregation when we first get to see him or her visiting their own covenant community gathered on Sundays. His parents have traveled apparently from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, to the temple, and their purpose is to fulfill the law. The requirements that were made for Mary and, and Jesus' purification and our Savior's dedication, both required by the law of Moses, to which Jesus was submitted in every way. What we're particularly interested in is the greeter of the day. You came in this morning and we had greeters once again posted there at the doors and they were uh, smiling at you and welcoming you and especially if you were visitors, they were giving you any information you might need and of course, ever so importantly, they were giving you a bulletin because we all have to have our bulletins. Jesus was greeted that particular day that he came to the temple. And it's a remarkable greeting indeed. This man, Simeon, we gather somewhat elderly, who was a prophet for the day. No indication that he was a prophet in Israel in the traditional sense of the word, but He's given a word of prophecy from God as he first lays eyes, lays eyes on baby Jesus. So Simeon's going to be our teacher uh, this morning in the preaching of the word, and he's going to show us three things about our own celebrations of Christmas, what they might well be like in order to enter into Simeon's joy and his peace. First of three things is that Simeon shows us what longing for salvation looks like. Here we're just interested in the way he's introduced to us in verse 25. Look at the introduction of this man. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Those two things that uh, are true of Simeon that are described for us. He's righteous. That's a reference to his conduct. He patterned his life according to God's word. He has a devout or or, or upright conduct. And then the word devout is more a reference not just to his conduct, but where his heart is, his burdens, his desires. And I take that which follows those two words, righteous and devout, as to be an elaboration on, on Simeon's devotion. We're told he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what do you think Luke means by that? It doesn't appear that he's coining a phrase. It's not unique to him, this expression. We gather that it's a way of expressing something common among the Jews of Simeon's day. It was a certain way of describing what the Jews were longing for, at least those Jews who were waiting for Messiah. Remember with me the sad state of things in Simeon's day, the day that the Jews, of the Jews, when Jesus was born, they're not unlike, in many respects, where their fathers were there in Egypt in slavery. Now, to be sure, they're not in a foreign land. They're in their own land. They're in the promised land, but they're not free, not by every measure of the word. They're subjects of the great empire, Rome. And under that subjection, in various ways, they could be tempted to think that God had just forgotten about them, that he had abandoned them, just like their fathers might have been tempted to think that in the days of Egypt. There were promises that God had made that they had surely not come to be fulfilled in the days of Simeon. And not only that, but God wasn't even speaking to them. There were no professional prophets, true prophets, and there hadn't been for a very long time since the days of Malachi. Be excused, pardoned for thinking, if you were a man like Simeon, that God was angry with his people. They were under his judgment. So waiting, For the consolation of Israel was to look with longing to God to fulfill all that remained to be done that he had promised. Was to forgive his people, to overthrow their enemies, to exalt them once again as the means that he would use to bring salvation to the whole world. Those are the things that were promised by God too the descendants of Abraham. Now, I just want to point out that not every Jew of Simeon's day could be described the way Simeon is described. Many had lost hope in the promises of God. Some of them, like the Sadducees, you've encountered them in the stories of Jesus' ministry later. The Sadducees were ready to move on from that to make the best of things, to work with the Romans, to be content with the status quo. 
they'd essentially written off a lot of the promises of God as too good to be true. There were many among Simeon's countrymen who'd lost faith in the God of big promises. But Simeon's not given up on God. And his promises. This is apparently a man for whom the kingdom of God was preeminent in his heart. This is a man for whom his hopes and desires got far beyond just his daily bread and his comforts and his few years of life on the planet. He was a man who lived with a certain ache, a certain longing, a certain restlessness, living in the tension between what God had promised and what had thus far not happened. Simeon didn't believe that God had cast off his people. He believed the word of the prophets. But you wouldn't blame him for longing that he'd actually see something of the fulfillment of those wonderful promises. He longed for God to make clear that this little scruffy band of people, the Jews, were God's chosen people. All that summed up in this expression. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. By the way, when we sing hymns like the one we sang just a moment ago, Oh, come all ye faithful, the hymn writer is reminding us of fellows like Simeon. The faithful among God's people were those who believed God's promises. They hadn't given up on God. They were literally full of faith. Despite all appearances, they trusted that God would do, as he'd done in the past, against all odds, everything he'd commanded. The faithful is simply a reference to those who are looking with faith towards the coming of Messiah. The unfaithful, and there were many in Simeon's day, had written off the promises. They would be the same ones who eventually would take part in rejecting the Messiah. That's what you mean when you say, oh, come all you faithful. So my first point this morning, as we follow Simeon's example in our Christmas season, my first point is to invite you to enter into Simeon's longing. Christmas is an occasion for doing that. It's an opportunity for us to do that, to enter into Simeon's hunger. And here's the thing you might say, but I think you're getting ready to tell us, Pastor, that Simeon, who had this aching longing for the coming of Messiah, had that longing fulfilled. So how is he an example to us? We, after all, live after the coming of Christ. That's what Christmas is now about. Yes, indeed. But I remind you again, the same promises of the prophets 
that foretold the coming of Messiah, which has happened, promised a world of good things that still haven't happened. Same prophets, sometimes within the same breath of promising the coming of Messiah. They promise so many things that we, even 2,000 years later, recognize haven't yet come about. Just one example, we sing with many references in this season to Isaiah 11. That's the passage where the prophet says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is, we are all wonderfully agreed, a, a foretelling of the return of the king, the Messiah, the, the descendant of David, the promised one. And it's in that same passage within just a few verses that this return of the king is spoken of as the one who will bring these things about. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child will lead them. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, my friends, Isaiah 11 has only been fulfilled in part. And you can tell which part is still future for us. And isn't that grounds, reason for longing? as we reflect on really how similar our situation is to that of Simeon's. The Apostle Peter was a Simeon in 2 Peter 3 as he speaks of waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter's still waiting, longing, he's a Simeon. Paul, as we've had occasion recently to speak of his characterizing the whole creation, and of course, those of us who are the faithful within it, as groaning with eager anticipation for the adoption of sons, redemption of our bodies, the future resurrection of all things. The writer of Hebrews is certainly a Simeon. He speaks of eagerly waiting. The appearance of Christ a second time to save those who wait for him. You know this, and I just remind you this morning, that's why in our Christmas hymns that look back to the birth of Christ, you can still find that longing. Looking back to the coming of Christ, but it makes us inevitably look forward to the second coming of Christ so that everything the prophets foretold will come to pass. Ambrose of Milan, who's taken up by Martin Luther in his translation, and then yet again for us, puts it this way, 
From the Father forth he came and returneth to the same, captive leading death and hell, high the song of triumph swell. Thou the Father's only Son, past or sin, the victory won. Boundless shall thy kingdom be. When shall we its glories see? You hear the longing? Here's what you can think of. You think of the longing that Christmas rightly engenders in our hearts. You can think of Christmas, the celebration of the birth of Christ, as a kind of spiritual appetizer. Appetizers are supposed to be delicious, inherently delightful to us, but you know why they're called appetizers. It's because they heighten your hunger for what is next to come. That's what Christmas rightly does. We are all rightly simians with even greater reason for longing because we have had the appetizer of Christ's first coming. Simeon shows us what longing for salvation looks like. Here's the second thing Simeon shows us. He shows us what faith in the Savior looks like. So now let's look at what Simeon does. This greeter in the temple who has a particular greeting for a particular visitor I hope the young mothers will especially take note of what Simeon does. Verse 27, he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So moms, first day into the crowds with your baby, three, four, five weeks old, how do you respond to the total stranger who wants to take your baby? I assume that Simeon asked Mary, may I hold him? We're not told that he did. We are able to see that he's flooded with joy, wonder. He may have actually been a little impulsive. He might have violated a taboo or two, but Mary, whatever the case, surrenders Jesus to Simeon. And we have an explanation for why Simeon acts this way. It's what we're told about Simeon. I've not mentioned it yet. Look back at verse 26. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him, I, the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, this language of the Holy Spirit being upon him and the language of Simeon having revealed to him something by God. This is Old Testament prophet language. You recognize it. 
someone who is called by God to bring a message from God, that, those are the kind of things you would say about such a person. Simeon, not apparently a prophet by profession, but given a prophetic gift, a kind of ad hoc prophetic role. Simeon has been told by God, it's soon Simeon. I'm going to fulfill my promise to send a son of David soon, soon enough that you'll live to see it. Apparently on this particular day, the Holy Spirit had renewed that assurance to him and actually given him some indication today. It's that soon, Simeon. Go to the temple. Go to the temple, man. And somehow the Spirit connects that old man a little baby, and he realizes he's here. This is the one. It's really a beautiful ex- uh, picture in our text. You just put in your mind's eye this happy old man and this small child. You don't have any reference to the angels being able to hold baby Jesus. Uh, angels, sorry. The shepherds. We don't have a reference to the Magi. They bow down. The shepherds and the Magi both bow, but Simeon wants to hold the baby. Beautiful picture. One who has been living with this hope for so long. Here's how I want to make much of that picture in your mind of an old man holding this baby. Friends, sisters, Simeon What lies behind that embrace, Simeon realizes that the consolation of Israel would come in a person, in a man who's first a man-child. When Simeon says in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation, you know what he's talking about. He's talking about the baby. In his arms. What he's saying is God's fulfillment of all that Israel longed for would be by means of a man of his choosing, a man who would be born according to the prophets. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And so as Simeon takes this baby in his arms, he knows this is the infant Messiah, and he's embracing, as it were, salvation itself. I'm wanting you to see that that's a pretty beautiful picture of saving faith wherever it appears. Hearts of sinners. Saving faith. This thing a Christians make so much of. Saving faith is the full awareness that all my needs, indeed the needs of the whole world, are met by a person, who he is and what he will do and the desire to have that person to hold him, to have comfort in possessing him. That's what saving faith is. Some of you know my favorite example of saving faith is 
uh, a little child hanging on for dear life to his or her father's neck. If you've been in my communities class, you know this is my favorite picture of saving faith. There's danger and the child knows that daddy's the safe one and so hangs on for dear life. But this is my favorite illustration of saving faith turned upside down. It's the little child who's the savior, protector, provider of safety. It's the it's the man in this picture who's holding on to the baby for dear life. So we speak of faith until salvation as a kind of embrace. That's how we speak of faith. That's what faith is doing. And of course, that's what the Christmas season gives us fresh opportunity to do. We see Simeon embracing Jesus very literally in the flesh, arms about the baby. But don't think that Simeon's doing something in the most important sense that's unique to him that only he could have done. Listen to one of the church's favorite commentators, Matthew Henry. He says, when we receive the record which the gospel gives us of Christ with a lively faith, and the offer it makes us of Christ with love and resignation, then, Henry says, we Take Christ in our arms. I'm aware that if you are here this morning and uh, you're not a believer, you maybe are open, sympathetic, curious about Christianity, but you're not not yet a believer, I know that this must sound very strange to you. A bunch of otherwise intelligent people talking about embracing someone that can't be touched physically, at least at the present time. I realize that may sound very strange. I actually want to commend to you, if you're not yet a Christian, I want to commend to you, Simeon, as your example. Clearly he had something to embrace, but notice, please, that everything that made Simeon want to embrace this little baby as the hope of the world was yet invisible to him. Everything that made him want to embrace him was something that could not be seen. Simeon had no sight of a king on his throne bringing all things in subjection to himself. He only could see this little month-old baby He didn't even have a glimpse of the glory that Mary would one day see in the man who spoke like no other man. But Simeon had a word, a word of revelation from God in heaven. It was given by the power of the Spirit, the ability to awaken in Simeon faith, hope, confidence in God. 
but to those who may yet be unbelievers in this Christ we celebrate. I'm, I'm inviting you to do what millions have done. Joining Simeon, placing all your hopes for the good of your soul and indeed the good of this world on this little baby that's presented to us in Luke chapter 2. Because this little baby would be the one who as a full-grown man would die on a cross. He is that one because he was no mere man, but God in the flesh, who would rise from the dead and who would offer, as he does today, to all men, safety, salvation in his blood shed for sinners. He offers that today. He offers that every day until the day comes. when He returns to this world to bring a final end to all evil and all evil doers. So put your faith in Christ today. Be a Simeon for the first time perhaps today, this Christmas Eve. Simeon shows us what longing for salvation looks like. Simeon shows us what faith in the Savior looks like. And Simeon shows us a kind of Peace, thirdly, the coming of Christ alone can provide. So you've seen in your Bibles that beginning at verse 29, the, the words are set off in a different uh, arrangement in your Bibles. It's to indicate to you that in the original, they're very clearly poetic at this point. Verse 29 through 32 is is a little poem, or it's typically called Simeon's Song. The Song of Simeon is how it's been known throughout history. And you may also know that it's been given a name for the opening words of the song. There was a time, as you're well aware, the scripture was translated into Latin, used in the Latin, sung in Latin, and the opening words of the Song of Simeon in Latin are Nunc Dimittis. Now you're letting your servant depart. Why is Simeon talking about departing? What is he talking about? Well, folks, it's a reference to death. Simeon's death. But specifically, Simeon's peaceful death. You'll understand that as you remember what Simeon knew. He would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And it must have meant for Simeon a a life of questions every time he saw maybe a particularly attractive little boy or a particularly precocious little Jewish student or maybe a, a, a budding rabbi in Jerusalem. He must have had the occasion to think, well, is that the one? Who, who might that be? So that would have made for a restless life. Can you see that? His hope would have made for some restlessness 
always looking, always seeking, always waiting for the Messiah. But now this dear man's joyful faith expresses itself not just in embracing the Savior, but also saying to God, I've seen all I need to see, Lord. I'm ready to go home. Take me now, if you'd like. I don't need to live any longer. We actually don't know for sure that Simeon was an old man. He seems to be a man who's ready to bring to, to experience what would naturally be just ahead of him. That's why we've come to assume that he is an old man. But in any case, you're right to hear in these words great contentment and peace and a kind of surrender. What's happened to all the longing that he's had for the constellation of Israel? There is, in fact, a great deal that needs to be done, and, and a baby, scarcely begun, fulfilling all those things. But you know why there enters into Simeon's heart this peace? It's because, as far as Simeon is concerned, all the rest of what God has promised is as good as done. It's as good as done. That's why he can say, my eyes have seen your salvation, when actually they hadn't. In the fullest sense of the word, they just had seen a baby. That's why he can say of this baby, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, even though the Gentiles are still to that very moment sitting in deepest darkness. That's why he can speak of glory to your people Israel, even though the Jews are still among the most insignificant people of the world in his day. To Simeon, to see Christ, the promised Messiah, was as good as seeing all the rest. Because he's filled with the peace, the coming of Messiah warrants. He's content to depart the world because Messiah has entered it. Now, nunc dimittis, uh, Simeon's song, his prayer of praise to God. Can I just point out, that's not the sum and substance of a Christian view of life or death. There's something very special about Simeon's experience. Simeon, you'll see him. When, Lord, when will I see him? Lord, I'm ready. Take me anytime. But don't admit us. That's not the best slogan for capturing all that we're about as Christians. I'm not suggesting otherwise. Of course, this king that Simeon's taking in his arms, this child, this royal child, would become a king who gave, you might call them, marching orders to his disciples. Seek first my kingdom. Make disciples of all nations. In those things, in the fulfillment of those things, there is for all of us a holy striving, and it's not captured in the words, Nunc Dimittis, now let me depart. In other words, Simeon's sentiments could be a little premature for most of us. That's what I'm acknowledging. 
I don't want my elders starting to cop a Simeon complex on me. I'm ready to go. No, you're not. You need to help me here. Deacons, no nunc dimittis as a way of serving the church, just as if you're just waiting for the next moment. There's so much moms, dads, professionals, prayer warriors. There's so much to be done. But friends, I do think in all our doing for the king, Simeon's song should leaven our labors with what I'll call a peaceful surrender. Here's what we need to bear in mind. Christmas will help us in all of our striving as part of those who are seeking to advance a great and glorious kingdom of this Lord Jesus Christ. His first coming is all we need to be assured that it will all happen according to the word of God. For all the significance of your life, and your labors for the coming of the kingdom. Indeed, ours combining with all God's people, even spoken of as hastening the coming of the Lord by Peter, for all the significance of all that we do in 2024, as we're looking to a new year. All that doing is only made possible. All that striving is only made successful by a baby. That came long ago and made a trip to the temple with his parents, was greeted by a prophet. This is what makes Simeon so certain that the consolation of Israel is to come. It's because Christ has come, and that gives him a peace and a surrender that I don't know about you. But I need a portion of his spirit. I need it because my ambitions for 2024 will fall short. A lot I want to do for the king, I will only have mixed success. You too? I need it because my sins will have everything to do with much of my failures in 2024 to serve the king. My part in his bringing salvation to the world will once again begin by my personally receiving the saving grace. I need this because I may not live the full length of 2024, though presumably not as old as Simeon and when he said these things, for no man determines his days. Coming of Christ is what eclipses in significance all our personal failures and sins and finitude. It makes it okay for us to be mere mortals. Christmas brings, I'll end with this, brothers and sisters, it brings us the opportunity to step back and look at all the wreckage of the world. A land war in Eastern Europe, such as we'd hoped we'd never see again. Fragile peace in Palestine, sought for decades, shattered. Growing struggle of superpowers, the 
across the Pacific Rim countries. Can't even get our oil tanks, tankers, through the Red Sea. And, and that's not even talking about our own political and cultural chaos in our country. So otherwise frightening and distressing. You reflect on this question. What sheer immensity of divine power is needed to fix all this mess. You stretch your imagination to the full and, and think of this world, the, the world we're living in, restored to peace and full perfection. How's it going to happen? Your peace that it will happen comes as you look at the baby in Simeon's arms. The one promised from prophets of old that will bring indeed peace on earth. You say if the miracle of the incarnation, God becoming a man, has been done of all the rest. Oh, surely all the rest is certain and sure. That's, I trust, a timely word for you as you and I have need to enter into Simeon's peace. It's going to be all right. Not because we just wishfully want it to be, but because God has come to earth. Christ has come. Peace on earth will come. Nunc dimittis, the Lord's made it possible, therefore, for us both to live and to die in peace. Amen. Shall we pray together? And so here is what we would ask of you now, O Lord, our God and Father who sent your Son long ago that we are celebrating this season. This is what we would ask. Awaken in our hearts longing for all that is promised in your word of salvation, Salvation for souls of sinners. Salvation for the world as a whole. Made by your hand. Give us the longing of Simeon. Then give us more of the faith of Simeon. The confidence that everything that is broken will be mended. By the work, the person and the work of a person. The Lord Jesus himself. And grant to us, O oh Lord, in all of our striving and service to you, in all of our fretting, our, even our holy anxiety to see your kingdom come, give us the relief of Simeon's peace. It was all certain. It was all sure to come to pass because of what has already taken place in Bethlehem. 
we thank you for a story that is true on which we stand. We ask, oh Lord, for much of that peace even this day. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen.